0: a quick hello and we're good to go welcome to the show dennis consorte wonderful i will
1: not return the favor <laughs>
0: <Brilliant>. <laughs> so been
1: people... trying to get me to do karaoke for years and and i just i haven't gone there yet but eventually oh, perhaps
0: no that's an interesting point i hate karaoke Because the the, the key is never right. And you get on stage and you suddenly realize, I can't sing the top note. Whereas when you just sing it like that, you sing whatever key you want, and it doesn't matter. So karaoke is actually harder than doing what I just did. So anybody anybody who uh, wants to do karaoke, please always remember what I'm doing is easy peasy lemon squeezy by comparison.
1: All right. I'm still not going to sing on camera.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I thought I might convince you. Uh, That was my subtle kind of manipulative idea of being able to convince you. Welcome, everybody. Uh, It's going to be a really wonderful episode. We're going to be talking about um, leveraging press to build authority on Google. So obviously, we're talking about expertise, authority, and trustworthiness. But now, experience, expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. And it's becoming quite a mouthful to actually be able to say that without just saying 2-E-T or double E-E-A-T. Um And what I love about this is, is it isn't enough to say yourself, I'm expert, I'm authority, I'm trustworthy, and I have experience. Using press to corroborate that third party is hugely important. I think a lot of us miss it. Is that a fair comment, Dennis?
1: 100% fair. Uh- Press matters so much, uh, not just online, but also in the real world. If you want to get access to new opportunities, then you need to build a foundation to show people, humans, besides Google, that you are all of these
0: things. Right. Yeah. And always remember, we're talking to humans and to Google. And sometimes we're talking to humans through Google. Absolutely brilliant. And here we have Professor Ari Zolden, who's looking forward to hearing golden nuggets from Informational Dennis Consorte Jason Barnard. That's delightful. And what I always do is start off with the brand SERP. Now, today we're not starting off with the brand SERP. I went down a geeky rabbit hole. I used CaliCube Pro, which is our SaaS platform, to analyse one sentence from your website, from your company website. And from that description, Google's NLP could guess that uh, Consorte uh, Marketing Incorporated is an organization, but it's guessing, and this is what CaliCube Pro does. Then I thought, if I add New York City, which gives it geo context, will it be able to guess, sorry, will it be able to actually explicitly recognize your company? The answer is no. Then I took away New York City and added your name, and it still doesn't get it. It's still guessing when it analyzes your text it's guessing who that company is. Then you're all going to guess now exactly what I did in test four, and we have a lovely drum roll going on. And boom, you add both New York City and Dennis Consorte, and immediately that blue link that you can see there means that Google's NLP has explicitly recognized your company. It needed both your name and New York City as associated related entities in order to recognize your company with its NLP. And what I love about that is it makes hugely important this whole question of EEAT, which is if Google explicitly understands who you are, i.e. it can find the knowledge graph reference to you, then it can fully apply any EEAT signals you've created. And if it doesn't, if it's guessing, those EEAT signals are necessarily dampened. So being explicitly understood in the knowledge graph, which you are both at corporation level and at personal level, is hugely important. How do you feel about that, in,
1: Yeah, so so a few things. First of all, that's amazing that you did that analysis. And and it's spot on. And there's a reason for it. One of those reasons is that... Uh, I've been focusing on my personal brand for the past couple of years. Uh, one thing that you'll discover if you read my my personal website, denisconsorte.com, you can read a little bit about my story and how I actually went through a burnout some years ago. And part of that was just trying to reconfigure my career, figure out my why, determine what I wanted to do next. And uh, long story short, I, I like the idea of branding my name for a number of reasons. Uh, One of those reasons is because I work with other companies. So for example, uh, Professor Ari Zolden, who chimed in before, Ari, thank you. I'm gonna give Ari a plug. His company is Quantum Media Group. Uh, He is one of my partners where we partner on different client projects. Uh, So I'm much more interested in elevating uh, his brand and my personality in order to deliver good results to our clients. The last piece I'll add is, I have not been in New York City the entire time. My company actually started in New Jersey. Brilliant. So yes. So the, the little street sign that you saw in that picture, that was when I had an office in Hoboken, New Jersey. Uh, had a whole bunch of people in the office. It was a lot of fun, and also it drove me crazy. Uh, <laughs> since then, I have moved to a, a more decentralized organization uh, and have been focused on working with uh, different companies like Ari's company.
0: Right, that's hugely important and hugely interesting because I just analyzed that without actually researching you. So what I did is I used Google to understand what Google had understood. I assumed that it was all true. And in fact, Google's a few years behind. And that's a huge problem from a personal point of view, not for you particularly, but anybody in the world and companies is that Google is always behind unless we actively educate it and inform it. And what we do at CaliCube is actually come in and and make sure that Google does understand. And it is interesting for me is even given my experience, I still assume that that was all true. More for me. Before we carry on, really quick um, promotional... Section produced in partnership with Wordlift, who are an absolutely amazing team in Rome, Italy, and they have the artificial intelligence. you need to grow your traffic. I absolutely love them as people and as a platform. And from our perspective at Calicube, we can get you a knowledge panel with a Dunfew service by Calicube. You don't need that, Dennis, because you have a knowledge panel. So Elisa and the Calicube Pro team won't be able to work on your case, because you have a knowledge panel as an author.:
1: Yes. Now that said, I do have clients, so I'd love to continue the conversation after the show and and see if there is a way we could work together.
0: Oh, brilliant. Well, triggering knowledge panels when you work with Elisa is a question of when and not if. She always does it. It's just a question of how long it takes her, um, which I absolutely love. So, yeah, anybody who needs a knowledge panel or a company that needs a knowledge panel, who wants to improve or correct a knowledge panel, Elisa and the CaliCube Pro team are the people to talk to. You are listening to Branded Search and Beyond with Jason Barnard. Now, back to the show. I'd like to start off with the idea of explicit understanding. Google's explicit understanding is its knowledge graph. And we're all starting to really get to grips with that. And I think a lot of people miss the idea that if you haven't got that explicit understanding from Google in the knowledge graph, Those EAT signals or EEAT signals will not be applied. And so we have two problems. Number one is I'm not explicitly understood, therefore I'm missing out. Secondly, I think if I just say all this stuff, Google will believe me. And that's where you pick up. It it isn't true. I can say all I want that I'm a genius and that I'm the best person for knowledge panels. I need third-party corroboration.
1: That's exactly right. And I think the same thing applies in the real world. If you mm. want to tell somebody you're an expert at something, you don't tell them you're an expert at something. You get somebody else to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, because people people trust third parties in that way. And and I really do believe that that's how algorithms are, are working, too. Um, yeah,
0: I mean, that's yeah. I mean, what what I talk about, and I've just released the knowledge panel course, which talks a great deal about first party, uh, second party and third party websites. First party is me. It's me saying it myself. Second party is Twitter, Facebook, maybe Crunchbase, where I can just edit it and change it. So it's still me saying it myself, but with some support from a third party. Third party websites are those where I have no control. And the if I just create 100 sites that I obviously control myself for first or second party, there is an incredible level of diminishing returns. After four or five, the diminishing returns just go to the floor. With third-party websites, which is PR, digital PR, which is what I really want to dig into, there isn't any diminishing returns. It's a question of how authoritative is that source within your yeah. industry.
1: And And let me let me add that uh, you may not have control, but you have influence. Ooh, and brilliant. You, yes. And if you follow all of the uh, best practices, if you're reaching out to people, if you're building relationships, you can leverage your influence to get into these third-party uh, publications and so forth in order to grow your expertise, authority, trustworthiness, all of that stuff. Um, one of the ways to do that is, through a digital PR agency. And uh, oftentimes you have to make a decision on how to use your time. If you're a a tiny company, you may not be able to afford an agency. So you watch podcasts like this to get some nuggets of information (laughs) so that you can do a lot of stuff yourself. When you get to a certain level, you hire people who do this professionally full time, who understand uh, the work that's involved, the relationships that are involved and the way to pitch stories to people in order to get the result that you want.
0: Right, which is the huge question. There are two questions that immediately come to my mind. I just said the huge question, but it's two huge questions. Number one is, how do you start actually reaching out to the journalists if you haven't started? I mean, imagine within an agency, you already have a certain number of contacts, so it immediately makes that easier. If you don't have any, how do you start? And then number two is, how do you feed them the information? How do you get the information you want, that influence you talked about, onto their pages? There's so much
1: I could go into this. I'm going to try to simplify it as much as possible. The way that I approach this kind of thing is, first, I want to have an idea. So an idea for a story. And oftentimes, people are pitching journalists all day long with really amazing ideas. And and Mm -hmm. usually what happens is a reporter is going to read through hundreds of emails every day and maybe one or two that are interesting. So the idea, just like with the SERPs on Google, is you want to think about, okay, how do I stand out against all this noise? And that comes from a few things. Number one, of course, you want to have a very compelling email subject line so that when the person is reading through this list of things, yours pops out for some reason and it encourages a click to read the information that's in it. Uh, the other piece of this is you want to target people with stuff that they're actually interested in. There are tons of tools out there that you can use to look at different lists of journalists. One of the tools that we're using right now, for example, I, I guess I'll give them a free plug. They should send me a check or something, but uh, we use Muckrack for a lot of this.
0: Right. Brilliant.
1: And, and so what we do is we'll put in different keywords. We'll do different filters, very much like on Google, but you're searching specifically for reporters, writers, bloggers, people who are interested in what you have to say. And you create lists of these people, and then you email them, and or call them, or so forth, and see who responds. That's what you would do if you don't have the relationships already. If you have the relationships, then you- Sorry, would-
0: just, just coming back a step, and then we'll come back to if you have the relationships. On MuckRack, you're contacting individual journalists who can potentially work for multiple outlets. So you're exactly. aiming at people, not platforms.
1: Exactly. Really Brilliant. good point there. Yes. Thank you
0: for clarifying. Yeah,
1: thank you for clarifying. Thank you for saying the words <laughs> that I could just say yes to. That's amazing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so if I do have an in already with a journalist, what do I do? Then
1: you want to, uh, in a perfect world, you would have your tier one journalist who you would offer some sort of exclusive. So you might, for example, uh, let's say you create a press release that you're going to send out. You might do what's called the embargoing that press release where you send it to some people ahead of time with the understanding and the trust because you have a relationship that they're not going to put the news out before it's supposed to be released. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you do these things, then really what you're doing is you're showing the person that your relationship actually is special because you're sending them some stuff that nobody has seen yet and you're hoping that it's uh, relevant and interesting for them so that they write about it and timely and all these other things.
0: Right. Well, That leads me to the question is I think we're all desperately thinking, well, I want to do a press release, so I have to think of an interesting story. So we're making up these stories and thinking, how can I make it interesting rather than having news happen and then communicating it? You is can make up. All oh, right, go ahead.
1: Oh yeah. So you can do it both ways. Uh, another thing that that our teams do is, for example, there are so many people, uh, so many writers who are looking for quotes. So there are all these tools that you can use. Uh, I'll drop a few more here. Again, anyone who wants to send me checks or Venmo or whatever, just just send me money. I'm happy. Uh, I'm not getting paid by any of these people, but you can of course use tools like help a reporter out. You could use tools like Quoted. There are other tools you can use where you can get a direct connection with people who are looking for quotes for stories that they already have in process. So that's one easy way to get into uh, these, these
0: stories. And and those platforms are basically saying this journalist is currently working on this topic and you can step in and say, well, here's an additional paragraph you could add that makes total sense for your article. And you're thinking to yourself, but you don't say it helps me out, too.
1: Yes. Now, the tricky part is that uh, if you already have your authority, trust, all of that stuff, you're going to be picked up more easily than somebody who's brand new. So, catch
0: 22, yeah.
1: Catch 22. So that's why usually it's good to build a foundation. You start with the smaller publications to get quoted in them, and then you're able to ladder up to the bigger publications because what's going to happen is if.
0: Ooh, sorry, can I just interrupt you and yes. repeat? To ladder up is a verb, which means going rung by rung by rung rather than leaping for the top of the the, the, the pile immediately. You, you work up a ladder and you have to understand Well, we have to understand that we're on the bottom bottom rung. Sorry, when we start. Yes. Brilliant. Thank you for, no, <laughs> thank you, you for said that. it. I was just, I was just clarifying it in my own mind.
1: Yeah, no, that's amazing because, uh, just a side note, one of my pet peeves is I, I just don't like jargon. Uh, <laughs> so when I, when I use it, uh, and I'm called out on it, I appreciate it. Uh, Next time I use the phrase "ladder up" with new people, I'm going to describe it exactly as you did. So, no problem with that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I do, yeah, okay, wonderful. I wasn't trying to call you out. I was trying, no, no. What I no. tend to do is clarify in my own yes. mind what I've just heard. So what I just said repeat was it perfect. back. Yes. Right. Okay. So carry on. I, I interrupted you.
1: Yes. So you build your foundation with the smaller publications. You ladder up, rung by rung. <laughs> To the point where you can get into some of the tier one publications. You can still do it without building that foundation, but it's easier Mm -hmm. if if you follow the process. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to story ideas, there are, again, there are so many tools you can use. Uh, And by the way, I'll I'll make another shout out. Uh, Anton, and I'm going to pronounce your last name wrong, Anton, Uh, Shulky, Shulky? Yep. Shulky, Yep. Yeah, he referred me to uh, to Jason, so so thank you, Anton, if you're listening. Uh, I know him from SEMrush, Rush, and uh, hey, what's up, Josh? Uh, Joshua is a writer who I work with. Uh, I'm glad he's taking notes. He knows stuff himself too.
0: Yeah, and and Professor Ari Zolden is asking, is it being recorded? Yes, it's streamed live, recorded, and it will be released as a podcast. So everybody will get the opportunity to watch this. I'm I'm really interested. So I, we we've just interrupted you, and we shouldn't have done. Please keep going.
1: No, no, no. Interrupt as much as you want. I'm a New Yorker. Like that's how we speak. (laughs) (laughs) So when you come up with story ideas, there are a few ways to do it. One is you can use different tools. You can Google, you can look at uh, what's trending on social media. For example, use like BuzzSumo, Ubersuggest, all these tools to see what Mm -hmm. people are talking about and even look at Google News. And then you can take it a step further and do some keyword research to see uh, what keywords are trending and how you can put them into the the titles of your pitches. Because in my view, uh, optimizing isn't just for search engines. It's also for people. If people are searching Mm -hmm. for certain words, those words are going to stand out to them, whether they're in an email subject line or a press release or a search engine result. Now, one of the really cool things that my team and I do is is we put together what we call data stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason, you and I have been around since the beginning of SEO. And, yes. and we know from way back then that, I mean, you've got a better beard than I do, though. Uh, <laughs> we, we know from way back then that uh, unique content was always the thing. How do you make yep. unique content so that Google picks it up? Well, today there's so much unique content, it's ridiculous. People spin the same topic 50,000 different times. They're saying the same thing in different words and hoping that's unique. So one of the things that we do is we create stories around data. I just call them data stories because data is the one thing in my view that you can really create that is unique. So, for example, we'll survey once we come up with a topic that seems interesting and relevant with uh, what's going on in the the news today. And also uh, things that have some evergreen qualities to them, which means lasting. See, I got that from the (laughs) lateral. (laughs) Uh, When we come up with topics like that, then we'll do a survey. We'll survey something like a thousand people. Uh, Really, for statistical significance, you probably only need maybe like three or 400 with the questions that we have. But you also have to think about human beings, and reporters aren't thinking about, is this statistically significant? It's just, does it feel like a big number? So 1,000 has four digits, feels bigger than a few hundred. Uh, That's what we usually do. Uh, We get the survey results. Yep.
0: No, 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 sorry, Uh, it it is true that as a human being, I see three or 400, I think, well, That might not be true, but a thousand all of a sudden you're going oh yeah 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 I think statistically significant from a I'm an economist and a a statistical analysis uh, analyst I remember a number of seven thousand at one point being thrown at me at seven thousand apparently you hit that moment when it's not going to change very much from there on in but that isn't a human analysis and the human analysis is I see four digits I'm happy
1: yeah yeah that's how I feel too and then I think it goes to uh uh, the, the theta, right? One, two, three. So it's something like 95%, 97%, yeah. 99%. Yeah.
0: Anyway. Yeah. Um, it was a long time ago. I've forgotten, but I just remember 7,000 for some reason. Yeah. No,
1: 7,000 sounds amazing. And it also sounds expensive.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the statistical analyst is worried about the reliability of the data, but doesn't worry about the cost. And when we're in marketing, we need to worry about the cost.
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I, I use different tools for data. Uh, you could certainly use Google surveys. You could use tools like SurveyMonkey. The mm-hmm. one that I've been using a lot lately, I'll, I'll give them a plug, because they've been very good to me, uh, is a company called Polefish. Um, mm-hmm. And generally you're, you're, you're going to spend maybe like a buck 50 per response on, on any of these platforms. So you figure for uh, a 1,000 responses to your survey, it's going to cost you about 1,500 bucks. Right. Uh, then there's the work that goes into analyzing it, writing a story about it, and creating really engaging content about it. And this is what, uh, what I enjoy quite a bit when we create these data stories is we'll produce these interactive charts and graphs that go into the content so that you're not just reading a wall of text, but you see some images that make the data easier to understand. And what's really great about this is not just that the content is easy to understand, but you're essentially handing a reporter a story on a silver platter that they can, hey, what's up, Lee, nice to see you. Um, You're handing a story to a reporter on a silver platter that they can essentially cut and paste into their publication with some tweaking, and they're good to go. Uh, One of the big lessons to take away from this, if if you learn nothing else, is that the easier you make somebody's job, the more likely it is they will to do it. Uh, So when we produce these data stories, we try to come up with all kinds of really cool content We're even getting into putting some videos into them, which uh, we'll start doing very soon. Uh, This is going to make just really good content for uh, reporters who are interested in our work.
0: Right. and How do you integrate video into that? I mean, making videos from my perspective, I've just got my new flat from like three weeks ago and I'm installing a video studio. So making a video, just me sitting down, deciding what I'm going to say, go sit in the video with the green screen, off we go and it's done. How can I integrate that into my press relations? Because actually recording one video per journalist wouldn't make a a huge amount of work for me.
1: Yeah, it's good that you brought that up because I should have been more elaborate in describing what we produce. So uh, when we create data stories, we publish them to our client websites. So let's say, for example, you are an insurance, uh, platform. I'm saying this Mm -hmm. because I actually did one for an insurance platform recently. (laughs) (laughs) You're an insurance platform. You want to write a story about, um, people who are thinking of leaving their jobs, right? We've been in this great resignation recently. And how you can then show those people that if they're looking for other opportunities, they may want to come to your insurance platform and start a new career as an insurance broker. So uh, what we would do is we would create the story, or we did create the story, where we ask a set of questions in a survey, analyze the data, produce the content. The content goes onto the client website, and the link is what's shared with reporters in the pitch. So usually what we do is we'll send an email out that says, hey, I, I know you write about XYZ. We did a story on it uh, with some unique data, right? You want to put some keywords in there that are going to trigger the reporter to think, oh, this is wow. something original. Uh, here are three or four bullet points on what we did. Here's a link to the article. Check it out. right?" And that uh, usually works pretty well to get people interested enough to click through, read the content. And then if they like it, then they're just gonna start cutting and pasting. Within these stories, again, you wanna make it as easy as possible for people. So we'll usually embed uh, a number of pull quotes that people can just copy and paste with authors Mm -hmm. who are linked, usually linked to their LinkedIn profile or website or something. And when you choose authority, I'm really big on piggybacking on other people's authority. So uh, when we choose people to give quotes, oftentimes we'll mix in people who have a following, people who are trusted, people who are in the press, because that's going to increase the odds of, number one, our story getting picked up, and and number two, uh, Google sensing that it is a good story. Right Uh, Now, going back to your actual question of embedding the video, (laughs) it's really as simple as putting it onto social media and then embedding that code. So, for example, if you have a WordPress website, you would put your video onto YouTube. Maybe initially you make it unlisted so that it is found through your story first. And you just put the link into WordPress and it's going to create the embed code and the video will be right in the page content. Mm-hmm. And as you know, Jason, when you do that, you will show up under a Google Video search, oftentimes uh, with the mm-hmm. thumbnail and all of that. And then for the reporter, uh, if it's on YouTube, it's as simple as clicking to uh, to share, and there's like an embed thing where they can copy the code if they want. Um, most most of them are pretty savvy; they know how to do that part.
0: Right? No, hundred um, percent. I think we we we, we kind of sorry, there's a a kind of contradiction in saying we want them to copy and paste, but also they're very savvy. And it's a question of they are savvy, but they don't necessarily have the time. And from what I've understood, it's your approach is to say, well, you've got EEAT, you need to prove it by third party corroboration, you need to work up the ladder, rung by rung by rung by rung and not try to get right to the top, write a great subject line, get the journalist to click on it, make sure they understand that this is unique content, using words that trigger emotionally for them or trigger interest from them, get them to a page where they can simply copy paste and you've done most of the work for them. That's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I'm and really happy by the way, kudos
1: to you. You have an amazing memory and really good listening skills because that's exactly what I said in better words.
0: Uh, right. My memory lasts about 30 minutes, so this is exactly <laughs> the right length for a podcast. Um, we end, as always, now with these questions. Answer one or both. How can digital PR help with branded search and or how does branded search tie in with digital PR? Off you go, Dennis.
1: So I'm just going to give you a really simple thought. And that is when people are interested in who you are, whether they want to write about you or do business with you or buy your product or whatever, they're going to go to Google. They're going to look you up and they're going to see what they find. So uh, as Jason said, you don't always have control over third party information, but you sure can influence it. And if you use digital PR to reach out to journalists, to reach out to bloggers, to reach out to podcasters and other people of influence then in fact, you you are able to control a lot of the information that shows up on your page in branded search. So uh, I believe that digital PR is a tremendous tool when it comes to branded search. It's gonna give you so much control over what does show up. And in addition, you can look for different gaps in the content and see how you can fill them. So if if you were to Google yourself, uh, as Jason Googled me earlier, Uh, you might see, oh, you know what, I I see some blog posts come up, but I don't see a lot of articles, or I see podcasts come up, but I don't see a lot of uh, quotes in top-tier magazines. So think about how you can leverage digital PR to reach out to influential people and publications and so forth so that you can fill all of those gaps and give people a really complete picture of who you are.
0: I absolutely love that answer. And I love the final moment is fill those gaps. Look at your brand set. What appears when somebody Googles your name? Think to yourself, what are the gaps? How can I fill them up? If I can fill those gaps up, my strategy is built. So simple, so brilliant. Absolutely delightful, Dennis. Thank you so much. Um, thank you everyone for watching. That was absolutely delightful and wonderful, Wonderful, sorry, from Dennis Consorte. And now introducing next week is Burke Alpilidic. And I'll probably totally, totally, totally um, got that wrong. And I'll ask him next week, EOT, enough of things, and Fidgetal explain. FIGITAL, from what I understand, is physical and digital mixed together. I love that because I have no idea what it means, and Burke is going to explain it. Could you pass the baton, Dennis?
1: Burke, I am passing the, I'm going to say it in American, I'm passing the baton (laughs) (laughs) over to you. I am so excited about this concept of fidgetal and enough of things. Uh, Really looking forward to seeing that episode.
0: It's going to be absolutely wonderful. Hopefully, just as good as this, because this was absolutely amazing. Thank you, Dennis. You get the outro song. A quick goodbye to end the show. Thank you, Dennis. And maybe you noticed it's exactly the same song as at the beginning.
1: Yeah, but I think you got a few uh, extra syllables in there somehow. <laughs> Brilliant.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much, Jason. Have a great
0: day. Cube. It's all about your brand SERP.